So, something interesting happens when a young man takes an interest in a young lady. Whereas before, he might head out to school without seemingly a thought about his bedhead, whether his shirt matched his pants in any sane way, whether he was clean-shaven or the peach fuzz was plain for all to see. Now, all of a sudden, his hair is fixed. Looks like some semblance of thought went into what he was wearing. May not be what you would have worn, but he says it's legit. The peach fuzz is gone. And if you're not mistaken, that is not only deodorant, it is Axe body spray. What has happened? He has taken an interest in a girl. And so whereas before he could care less about all those things, all of a sudden he starts to care. And and not just about his appearance. He starts to be mindful about how he presents himself in other ways. Of the word he says around her and the words that he doesn't say around her. The way he relates to his friends or her friends when she's around. Overall, he just starts to be more thoughtful and intentional in both his words, his actions, and his manner. And depending on the level of attraction, if he's got it bad, you might even think, well, that boy has come underneath her sway. There is something about her that is plain and simple captured him. Well, in our passage today, Paul says that's the case with every single Christian. When a sinner takes an interest in the Savior, when the saving offer of the gospel rings true in his ears and he comes to Jesus for salvation, all of a sudden, Jesus isn't just that Jesus we've heard about before, like that girl isn't just the girl in the class before. All of a sudden, we can't get Jesus out of our mind, and nor do we want to get him out of our mind. And what begins to happen is that we, like that boy, we begin to take care about things we did not particularly care about before. We begin to be mindful of our words, of our actions. The way we relate to others. And although we don't particularly begin to care necessarily about our appearance per se, we do begin to take care to adorn our entire lives differently than we did before. And those looking on, if they're not Christians, they won't particularly understand. But Christians will. They'll know plain and simple the spirits captured that man or woman. And more and more, that man or woman is coming underneath the Spirit's way. Here's what I want to convince you of this morning. As Christians, God would have us to live lives of care. He would have us to take care concerning how we walk, how we live. And He's going to get at that by telling us we must walk in wisdom And be filled with the Spirit. So would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
Turn to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read the entire text and then we're going to dive into the parts. We're going to pick up in 15 and read through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see this idea of taking care in the, in the very first verse of our text. So verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. So by this time in Ephesians, you should recognize that word walk, right? So in the latter half of the book, which lays out the implications of the gospel, kind of the therefores of the gospel, walk is one of Paul's favorite phrases to capture how we live. So he tells us in one. Walk in a manner worthy of your call. In 5.17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Instead, we are to walk in love, 5.2. We are to walk in light, 5.8. And now he uses walk again for the final time in this book. But he uses it a little differently. Be careful how you walk. So the idea is that you should be thoughtful. You should be intentional. You should take care concerning your Christian life. And you totally understand this. So you mothers, don't you take care in the health and well-being of your kids? You engineers, don't you take care in the design of that chip or the line of that coat? You welders, don't you take care concerning edge preparation? You carpenters, don't you take care in the angle of that joist? Of course you do. You take care about anything that matters to you. Whatever you love, whatever you're interested in, whatever you're invested in, you take care concerning those things, don't you? You give yourself to those things. You don't bat an eye at spending money on those things. You don't bat an eye at pouring vast amounts of effort into these things. You don't bat an eye at vast amount of time poured into these things. In fact, depending on your personality and your work ethic, others may begin to warn you, hey, don't, don't only focus on this at the expense of other things. Don't only think about your work, even though you're passionate about it. You take care, and why do you take care? Well, because it matters to you. And what matters more than your relationship with Jesus Christ? Nothing. And so how do we take care? We're to take care. How do we take care? Wisdom, Paul says. You take care by walking in wisdom. Look at verse 15 again. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So as Christians, we must walk in wisdom. What does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, it's not just about information. 
in our world right now, we are blessed or maybe cursed or maybe both with a gluttonous amount of information. Somebody say amen or oh my, right? Uh, There is more information at our fingertips through online education and the internet than ever before. But we lack wisdom in so many very obvious ways, don't we? I mean, we don't even know what makes a girl a girl or a boy a boy. We're fools. Wisdom isn't just information. Wisdom is knowing how to live in light of information. And more to the point, wisdom is knowing God's word and living in light of God's word. Wisdom is understanding the Word of God and then applying the Word of God to all of life's varied circumstances. If you want a treasure trove of wisdom, just immerse yourself in the Proverbs. Proverbs are just wisdom on display. So there have been times in my life, and I'm sure there will be times in my life in the future, where I just give myself to reading a proverb a day. If you do that, you're going to read through all the Proverbs in a month. And if you do that, you are going to be amazed at just how alive the Word of God is. You're going to be amazed at just how applicable it is to all these different scenarios that you face in life's circumstances. So, wisdom is is the Proverbs. But but honestly, we, we have to zoom out and not miss the obvious. If we're going to be wise people, then we need to be people of the entire book. Proverbs like wisdom comes from reading the whole counsel of God. I think of the 119th Psalm. Boy, just give yourself to reading that this afternoon. An entire Psalm dedicated to the excellencies and praiseworthiness of God's Word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold, my back, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. And therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Brothers and sisters, if we're to be wise people, we must be word people. God's word is what helps us take care to walk in wisdom. And perhaps the first mark of wisdom on display is how we use our time. So just look at where Paul goes next. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, why do you think Paul emphasizes uh, the use of our time? How about, first of all, because time doesn't belong to us. Time isn't ours. Time is God's. And time is finite. So it's like a fossil fuel. There's not an endless supply. When you use time, it is gone. No problem, you say. I've got plenty of it. Actually, you don't. James says your life, your entire life, is like a vapor. So you just walk outside on a cold winter morning. That vapor that's visible for just a moment and then it's gone, that's your life, James says. Your time is brief. And 
time actually isn't something that you get to use as you see fit. This actually goes along with the understanding that time belongs to God. So it's not like you get to determine your use of time because you're not the owner of your time. (laughs) You are a steward of your time that has been given to you. And so when you think about your time, brothers and sisters, you can't think about it like an unbeliever. What do I want to do? Right? You have to think about it as a Christian. What does God want me to do? So faithful Christians like Jonathan Edwards, as a young man, wrote in his journal, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I can. Or how about old C.T. Studd? You probably know this one. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, of course, this could be taken wrongly, as though enjoying the pleasures of life were somehow wrong. That's not true. God would have us to enjoy his good gifts, okay? Like laughter for the sake of laughter. A wonderful meal with friends replete with excellent wine. Vacation with your family. A good movie night or game night. But this is to say that there is a distinctly Christian way we must think about our time. And we must think about it not as ours but as his. And we must use it for his glory. So what are ways we don't use it well? Well, how about laziness? Laziness is what? It's inaction when action is needed. It's it's not doing what you know needs to be done. Laziness is passivity. So passivity at school, in your relationship with your spouse, in your parenting, in your praying. It's just... It's just not putting in the work, right? Laziness. So when we're lazy, we're not being faithful stewards of the time God's given us. Laziness. Well, how about busyness? Well, busyness is actually the cousin of laziness, and busyness is everywhere today. If the lazy person has nothing but empty space on his calendar, the busy person cannot find an empty space on their calendar, right? So, moments are filled, days are filled, weeks are filled... Busy, busy, busy. You reach out to your friend. Hey, what are you up to today? Oh, can't talk. Busy. Right? Yeah, we can't confuse busyness with faithfulness. We can't confuse the number of activities or appointments on our calendar with the faithful stewardship of our time in the eyes of God. Sometimes faithful stewardship of our time calls us to say no to good things so that we can say yes to better things, more lasting things. Eternally significant things. So there's laziness. There's, there's busyness. And then, of course, there's just plain old distraction, which is a modern-day plague. Social media feed, it never ends, does it? it just It keeps going. You're like, well, I didn't, I where's the end? It, it doesn't end. Okay? Breaking news comes out 24-7, 365. Uh, there is always another podcast. There is always another show on Netflix, and after you finish, they're smart enough to just autoplay the next one for you, right? So it's like you got to... Otherwise, it just comes up, and you're like, I'm watching the next one. (laughs) Kristen's like, turn that off. I'm like, ah, yeah. Uh, So you got to be mindful of these things, brothers and sisters. If the enemy of your soul can't get you with laziness or busyness, he'll get you with distraction. 
He is going to subtly and slowly distract you such that you waste away your time, how much time God only knows, in things that amount to literally nothing. In vanity. In purposelessness. And you do know that Satan is behind the scenes, don't you? That is why we must take care concerning our time. Because the days are evil, verse 16. What does that mean? Well, it just means that until the Lord Jesus returns, our age, every age, is influenced by the devil and the cosmic powers of darkness. Now, on one hand, that's discouraging, and we feel that discouragement. I feel the pull of laziness. I feel the pull of busyness. I feel the pull of distraction. We all do to some extent in some way, and sometimes it varies both which one and the intensity of it, right? But on the other hand, these evil days, brothers and sisters, represent exciting opportunities in regards to our time. In fact, just listen to Paul's parallel passage to this one in Colossians. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. What does that impress upon you? That your time can count for the eternal destiny of precious souls. This is why we care about gospel proclamation. This is why we start evangelistic Bible studies. This is why we pray for those we know who are outside of Christ. This is why we invest ourselves in the on-missions class that happens each year and will come up again in the fall. Because the days are evil and we want to use our time for the salvation of souls. Wisdom makes the most use of time, brothers and sisters. And wisdom also discerns the will of the Lord. So look at verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is he saying? He's saying wisdom discerns the will of the Lord. It's pretty simple. He spoke about this earlier in the chapter when he talked about light and darkness. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 5.10 And again, I just, I just think about a boy smitten with a girl. Right? What does he want to do? He wants to do what's pleasing to her. And of course, so it is with us as Christians. We want to do what's pleasing to God. We want to know His will. Now, theologians talk about the will of God in two ways. God has a secret will, and God has a revealed will. You see this in texts like Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Theologians refer to God's secret will as his will of decree, And the essence of it is that ultimately whatever things come to pass, all of it has been ordained by the sovereign hand of God. We saw this in Ephesians 1.11. In him we have an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's God's will of decree. Okay? His secret will. Now the thing with God's will of decree is that it's something we don't know. Except by looking back. So, God doesn't reveal the 
the details of his secret will to us ahead of time, and nor does he tell us to seek that will ahead of time. The will we are called to discern here is God's revealed will, and theologians call this his will of command. And the easiest way to describe this to you, what's the will of command, you might say? I would just tell you, it's the Bible. Okay? The call to discern the will of God is a call to live in keeping with all that God has revealed about himself in his word. That's what it is. It's it's not mystical, but it's so deep and practical. It's a call to embrace his worldview as our worldview. His morality is our morality. His ethics is our ethics. His priorities is our priorities. His passions, our passions. And you can see what this does for you, can't you? Again, it drives us to be people of His Word. Brothers and sisters, we cannot discern the will of God if we are not soaking ourselves in the Word of God. If you're a note taker, just write that down. You cannot discern the will of God if you are not soaking yourself in the word of God. Attending to the preaching of his word on Sunday mornings. Reading it on your own. Discussing it with brothers and sisters. Doing your best to apply it to your lives. And this matures you, doesn't it? The call to discern the will of God is not about choosing between two perfectly legitimate job opportunities for a Christian. It's about becoming a wiser Christian, a more godly Christian, a Christian who increasingly thinks and lives like the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And I think this is also unbelievably freeing. So I've known Christians, and I've been one myself, wrecked over what to do in specific situations, right? So do I choose this college or that? Do I move this place or or that? Do I marry this person or that? These are huge decisions. And in an effort to discern the secret will of God, which we're not told to seek in Scripture, we do all sorts of strange things, right? So we see a cloud in the sky shaped like the mascot of the college that we're thinking about, and we say, aha, God's will revealed! Or we latch on to Gideon and what happened with that fleece and we start asking God for this miracle or that. I'd submit to you, brothers and sisters, that what God cares about in those decisions is whether or not you're making them in keeping with the principles and priorities revealed to you in the pages of Scripture and in counsel with godly men and women in the church. And if you're doing that, then you can't go wrong. Every big decision, every little decision, down to the way you use your time, you can't go wrong if you're making it motivated and informed by biblical principles, God's revealed will. And you will be pleasing to Him. And that's what we want, isn't it? Amen, that is what we want. We want to please Him. Well, there's one more big category. There's one more big category that Paul wants to share with us this morning. And it, too, can be housed underneath this umbrella of wisdom. So, wisdom calls us to make the most of time. Wisdom calls us to discern the will of the Lord. And wisdom calls us to be filled with the Spirit. So, read verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So, this is a command to be filled with the Spirit. But first, before we flesh into that, it's a contrast. And it says... 
do not get drunk with wine. Now, you can tell when somebody has come underneath the control of wine or beer, can't you? So the effects are obvious, right? Overall, I would just say you kind of lose things. So you lose sharpness of thought. You don't think as clear. You're not as with it as you normally would be. You lose self-control. So your inhibitions are much, much lower when you're under the influence, leading you to do things you wouldn't normally do. And frankly, you lose bodily control as well. So you can't walk well. You can't talk well. You can't execute on normal tasks that you normally would be able to. And Paul says this is totally out of bounds for a Christian. A Christian is not to be under the influence of alcohol. Rather, a Christian is to be under the influence of the Spirit. And more broadly, we'd have to say this is not only a call to not come under the influence of alcohol, it's a call to not come under the influence of any mind or state-altering substance, like illicit drugs. So, just public service announcement, I think in our day, where we live, we need to be clear that marijuana is off the table for Christians. Some might want to say, well... Just like you can have a little alcohol, and you can. Scripture does not forbid alcohol. Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. They'd say, well, just like you can have some alcohol, just don't get drunk. That is true. So, too, you could have a little marijuana. But, brothers and sisters, these substances are different. They don't work the same. Any amount of marijuana introduced into the system affects thinking, memory, pleasure, coordination and movement even in minute doses. These are different things. And let me say this, brothers and sisters. Please be clear. Although alcohol is not forbidden, you need to be very careful about alcohol. It can have a tendency to pull you in more and more. It can have a tendency to get you to want it more and more. And nobody who's being pulled in by it more and more thinks they're being pulled into it more and more. So enjoy the gift, but be careful. Be wise. And talk to a wise and mature brother and sister, brother or sister, about this. Wisdom would say you should take care concerning this, right? Yeah. Because the only thing we want to be controlled by is the Spirit of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean? Well, it means this. It means to be controlled by the Spirit. Another way to say to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit, to come underneath the influence of the Spirit. And just like you can tell if someone's come under the influence of alcohol, so too you can tell if someone's come under the influence of the Spirit. Whereas if you've come underneath the influence of alcohol, you begin to lose things like self-control. When you come underneath the influence of the Spirit increasingly, you begin to gain things like self-control. So, listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit. I would contend with you that's a parallel idea to being filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against things, such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To be filled by the Spirit, or to be filled with the Spirit rather, is to be controlled by the Spirit, brothers and sisters. So this is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All believers are baptized in the Spirit the moment they trust Christ. This is not the sealing of the Spirit that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1. This is not the gifts of the Spirit that every believer has. They've been gifted by the Spirit to serve Christ's church. That's in Ephesians as well. Nor is this a call to pursue the so-called charismatic gifts that I believe were unique to the first century church. Nor is this some kind of heightened emotional state. Okay? This is a call to increasingly, progressively, evermore and always come underneath the sway and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's connected, by the way, to the Word of God. So turn to Colossians 3. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're in Philippians, I mean, if you're in... If you're in Philippians, I'm sure you're enjoying your reading and just not listening to what I'm saying. But if you're in Ephesians, which I hope you are, go over a little bit and get to Colossians and turn to Colossians 3. And this is a parallel passage uh, to the one we're in today. And these are just marvelously similar. So take a look at this. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let me just read it for you. Let the word of Christ dwell, rich, dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you see how similar this text is to the last one we just looked at? Do you see how similar they are? They're they're almost exactly the same, but with one helpful difference. Whereas our text says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord or to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks. This text says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Do you think that's accidental? Of course not. What's the connection? Being filled with the Spirit is connected to the Word of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God is connected to the Word of God. And as you increasingly give yourself to the Word of God, you will increasingly come underneath the sway of the Spirit of God. And that will look like something. It will express itself, Paul says, like this, verse 19. We're back in Ephesians, by the way. 
Ephesians 5.19. Here's what it's going to look like when you're under the control of the Spirit, when you're being filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God are going to do many things. Paul highlights three. Singing. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's singing. Specifically, it's singing in corporate worship. It's singing on Sunday morning. And I think this is so cool. Did you notice that there are two points of focus in our singing in this text? When we sing on Sunday morning, brothers and sisters, we sing to who? You think to God. And of course, you would be right. It's like Jesus' Sunday school answer. But look first. We sing to one another. Addressing one another, the text says. When we sing on Sunday mornings, we sing to one another. Our singing on Sunday morning isn't just a private affair between us and God. It's for each one of us too. So do you know what happens when we sing? We're encouraging one another. Who isn't encouraged when the room is filled with voices singing praise to God? Amen? And we're strengthening one another. And we're comforting one another. And we're exhorting one another. With every song, we are declaring what we believe. We are singing to one another, brothers and sisters. He will hold you fast. Sin has left a crimson stain, but He washed it whiter than snow. Oh, church, arise. We sing to one another. And of course, we sing to the Lord. We sing to our Lord who has saved us with His blood and ransomed our souls from death. The Lord deserves such singing. Amen? And you know, if you're here this morning, dear one, and you kind of just think, yeah, singing's just not for me. Well, I want to push you on that. Singing is for you if you're a Christian. So if during our singing time, if you don't sing, or if you sing rather weakly or disinterestedly, this is, this is something that the Lord cares about. You know what the Lord would have you to do? He would have you to throw back your shoulders, friend, and let her rip. He, he doesn't care if it's off-key or if it's on-key. He does, talk to Reuben, okay? He wants you to sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And he does not care if the music isn't to your liking or style. It's not for you. It's for your brothers and sisters, and it's for the Lord Jesus who saved you. Didn't know you were going to get a lesson in congregational singing, didn't you? Well, it's a mark of being filled with the Spirit of God. As is thanksgiving. And man, we just keep coming back to this one. Paul just keeps driving home 
like the bass drop in that song that you know is coming. He just says, Christians are thankful. Christians are not bitter. Christians are not angry people. Christians are not mean. Christians are thankful. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, one that you probably don't see coming. Submission. Being filled with the Spirit is expressed through singing, through thanksgiving, and through submitting. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is a transition verse that Paul is going to pivot off of and he's going to flesh out beginning in verse 22 going all the way through chapter 6 verse 9. So he's going to talk about how being filled with the Spirit manifests itself in all sorts of relationships you're going to find yourself in. Wives and husbands, children and parents, bond servants and masters. And we're going to get into that after Brad leads us through a four-week series in Ruth while I'm out on vacation in the youth retreat. So that's coming. But for now, I hope you see that being filled with the Spirit isn't an emotional state. It's coming underneath the sway, the control of the Spirit of God. And it's part of this overall thoughtfulness and care and intentionality that God calls us to. And so let me just ask you this morning. Are you taking care concerning your Christian life? Are you taking care to grow in wisdom? Are you taking care to increasingly live underneath the Spirit of God? You don't bat an eye at spending hours, money, energy, and effort into what you care about, your hobby, your job, your friends. If spending effort, time, and energy in your relationship with Christ seems strange to you, or if you're not doing it, you have some serious business that you need to do with God. So what's got a hold of you? Is it laziness? Is it busyness? Is it distraction? Is it something other than the Spirit of God? You need to go to the cross. You need to go to the foot of the cross. And you need to remember your first love. You need to remember how even when you were dead in your sins, God showed His love for you by sending His Son to die in your place, ransom you from your sin, and bring you to the Father. Some of you in this room have maybe never truly been captured by His love. Maybe you've known about Jesus. Maybe you've come to church for years. But He's just like that girl in the classroom right now. Yeah, she's there and He's there, but meh. Have you been captured? Like the boy smitten with the girl, have you been smitten by the love of Jesus. And be clear, it's not just a feeling. It's more than that. It's taking care. It's increasing in wisdom over time. It's being mindful of how you use your time. 
It's discerning what is pleasing to God in all of life. It's increasingly being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what it looks like to be savingly smitten with Jesus. Be careful how you walk, Paul said to the Ephesians, and I say to you. So if you're sitting here and thinking, well, that's not me. Well, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be in awe of the offer of the gospel. Be in awe that He's willing to save one like you. Be in awe that He has cast His eye upon you. And then just go after Him. Pursue Him. Go to Him. Cling to Him. And never let go. You will not regret it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love displayed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ that you have wooed us sinners lost, confused running headlong to hell thank you God thank you for your mercy thank you for your grace in Jesus name Amen